Every day we hoistle in a pilots and Pictards podcast. Welcome back to the Pilots and Petards podcast. This is the podcast with nothing much ado about airplanes, but potentially everything to do with the first episode of a filmic series. This is our extended discussion for the pilot episode of the series Umbrella Academy, titled We Only See Each Other at Weddings and Funerals. If you would like a spoiler-free evaluation of this pilot, listen to our previous recorded episode. Joining us, as always, is... Drew, I'm the pragmatic and bleeding heart cyclops of this podcast. And... The magically undefeated Mismo, master of spoilers and lover of the Nobos. And this is Jimbo, the anti-millennial, non-conforming, existentialist, pilot critic, and Kenny of the podcast. Now we're going to dive into our extended discussion. We will assume you already watched the pilot, and we will possibly spoil things throughout the series. Petard is a word. It's a real word. Um, go Google it. I'm not going to tell you what it means this week. Uh, Pilots and Petards is a proud member of the But Why Though podcast community. And we'd like to thank today's sponsor, Public Libraries, for this ad-free listening. Thank you, Public Libraries. I'm currently listening to an audiobook downloaded by them for free, and it's fantastic. So thank you. In addition, Public Libraries, thank you for not charging me any fines for the like 18 comic books I had that were like a month overdue. I don't understand how the system works, but it is good to me. <laughs> I think Drew should pay those fines. Denver Public Library, please. I have an address and a contact. <laughs> uh, here's a real quick fuck you to Crooked Media for your crooked piece of ads. And here, also, here's a fuck you to Sam Kinison. Uh, contact us to sponsor a show or slander a rival. Both are good, and we would do either for money or even just for a cool sticker you send us in the mail. And if you enjoyed today's ad-free entertainment, then you owe us. We could stack never-ending crooked ads. We could create sob stories as to why we need your hard-earned money, but we don't. Repay your debt by leaving us an iTunes rating or tell someone else about our podcast. Part two, Hoisters. We're going to move into our filmic analysis. We're going to dive a little deeper into some of those things we talked about in the highs and lows. And we're going to continue on with our Crabman Award for any new listeners. This goes to a character with a small role, but giving large contributions to the story or our viewing pleasure. And I think my Crab nominee should should count. I'm going to nominate Ben, number six, the the ghost, the Crab Ghost. Mm-hmm. Why? He's barely in it. He doesn't even talk. He is in every single episode after that. Barely. He's a crab man in every episode. There's a sense just from somebody who's actually only seen the pilot that he's going to be a big thing later. And the the scene in the car is a pretty big scene. I think that officially put him past being quali- like qualif- qualified for a crab ghost award. He's not in the episodes that much, though, but he is... Uh, I would say he's in the episode as much as anyone besides Luther, Vanya, and Allison, who kind of are the main ones. He's in it at least as much as Diego. No, Diego's in it way more than him, but whatever, that's fine. Diego was annoying, by the way, with his stupid knife and outfit. Mm -hmm. All right, over here, I'm going Crabless. This is an ensemble show, and it did not stick out for me, a crab person or award. Yeah, if if Ben's not it, then, then I'm also Crabless. All right, Mo, what do you got? Wow us. How about the kid who the girl kisses at the beginning? 
At the pool. In the pool scene? The, the, the Soviet lover boy. Oh, the Soviet mother. Oh, she's, dude, she's a crab. She's, she's, she's a crab. Uh... She's a crab mother. She's an immaculate crab mother. Immaculate Mo, is that crab who mother. You're pushing? Her or the well, boy? Well, I was going to say the boy because the mother seems too important, but maybe the mother. Yeah, let's do crab mother because. Yeah, the that mother, was... dude. She was hardly in it. She's important, She's to, the important plot. to the plot, but ne- probably never comes up again. Definitely not. Are we supposed to assume that's Vanya's mother? Yeah, because it looks like her. Not I necessarily, did. but yeah, maybe. Her name's Russian too. Okay, um, I can get behind that. I, I can Mo, also you get behind that. It? By unanimous decision, ish, the Crab Mother Award this week goes to Vanya's mom, synchronized swimmer mom. There you go. Blood in the pool, mom. That was a that was a dark. A lot of yeah, blood. It was dark. All right, horses. We're going to move into our MVP for any new listeners. This is the most valuable part of the pilot. Could be anything on or off screen. And I was really agreeing with Drew's MVP, but I'm just just to be a little different. I'm going to flip over to the main conflict. So I already talked a little bit about that in the highs and lows. The main conflict is the apocalypse, the end of the world in eight days that we learn about from number five. And I think that's what really made this pilot interesting. Not like, I don't care who killed the father. Like that's like, like that whole mystery was just like a facade. Like when, like when I say everything I hate about storytelling and TV, building suspense just for the sake of suspense and not developing the story or characters at all. And that, and that's what this story does so much of after the pilot. Turn in, turn the MVP into your most valuable rant. Okay. <laughs> yes. So my MVP that Jimbo alluded to was I loved the amount of showing and not telling in the pilot. Uh, everything is just like taken for granted. Like I think the only um, exposition dump we get is just the very beginning, and then from there you just are supposed to assume almost everything. And um, even though I did find like the murder plot to be dumb and annoying. Uh, the the main conflict, the end of the world, was just I think handled like really really well, um, and I I really enjoyed um, how much Five interacted with his family. He he was very close to being my MVP. He's my MVP of the series, um, but not my MVP of the pilot. I just think he came at a really perfect time. Like it's an hour long pilot, and I think you're right, Mo. I think he comes in when like viewer fatigue is starting to set in, and then you're like, yeah. oh shit, it's that guy. Yeah, and you're catching on to this gimmick of what Jimbo hates about storytelling where, you know, they're just feeding us suspense, but there's no resolution. And then he comes in and kind of like re-inspires watchers like us to keep going. Yeah, I was I was going to add a comment about Drew's exposition dumping. I would say there wasn't any exposition dumping. I think the you have an appropriate amount of like context building with with the voiceover they just call it, call it exposition. We don't got to call it exposition dumping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's like some awesome exposition. That's a high point. Mo, what's your MVP? I just think the intro was just really good, um, which was Vanya playing the violin and then panning out and there no, not being anybody in the audience. I, I just kind of am a sucker for the like string instruments in general like that. Are they, is that what they're called? String instruments? It's a string instrument. Okay, Mo, I'm going to have to tossing a spoiler in in some foreshadowing here so i didn't know this but mrs nomalous notified me that do you know what she's playing in that intro where she's yeah playing she's playing phantom of the opera mm-hmm. yes 
That's oh, some nice there's little a, foreshadowing. A... Oh, it is? Wait. Phantom of the Opera, for the most part, is the the phantom in the opera kills the lead so that the backup can take over as the star. That's right. Oh, so it's like Diego killed the dad. Interesting. <laughs> but interesting. I like this. So I really did. And I love that scene. Yeah, for... Because I am a sucker for the violin and Vanya as a character didn't bother me as much as she bothered you, Jimbo. But yeah, you know, I guess I guess she didn't so much bother me. I felt bad for her. Imagine like all your siblings are like your dad's prized possessions and getting matching tattoos, and you just are she chopped liver. On. It was so sad. That's really like complicated. Mm-hmm. So that's a complicated way to just grow. Just because she's a tragic character doesn't make her a good character. And there's really, I mean, she just seems so boring. But, but I will say, but she was a good character. Okay, well then maybe I'm wrong. You know, okay, I will officially take her off of my low point. All right, Luther, Diego, and Allison. <laughs> well, I think I think she's serving. Yeah, I mean Diego and Allison. Yeah. I think Vanya is an audience surrogate. You know, like we're kind of like looking at things through her point of view because we are the most like her. You know, like she's normal around these extraordinary things. She's maybe reacting the way we are. If you think about it, she, like the lens through which we see a lot of this pilot is through Vanya's lens. The fact that she's playing by herself in the auditorium says a lot as well. Like that's like that's some, so there's definitely some really cool literary devices being used with Vanya. So maybe I, so so I think I should take her off of my low point. And like Vanya's got her depressing little apartment and. You know, she's doing music lessons. I don't know. I, I think it's kind of cool. I think the mundanity of Vanya is supposed to be something that we pick up on. Yeah, maybe maybe that's why I thought it was kind of a low point. Because it's just like every little thing about her is just like a pity party. Yeah. The dad isolated her. She plays by herself in an auditorium. Her siblings don't want her around. You know, she that's she broke true. up just the one family. Of them. The rest of them were nice. You know, but I mean, like everything that happens to her, just like, oh my gosh, poor Vanya. And after a while, it's just like, Vanya sucks. Why does Vanya suck as a character? Because you think that she's like annoying and you don't like her little pity party. But when I hate the like random bro from Six Feet Under who gets cavities, I'm a fucking <laughs> asshole, terrible human being. What happened no. to someone's worst day or their tragedy is always like someone else's thing. You guys said that bullshit. Now you're like, fuck Vanya and her shitty life. No, 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 no. There's, there's a big difference here. <laughs> Your life's not shitty, Vanya. For one... I never said I liked Nate in Six Feet Under. You said his that his problems and his suffering were imaginary. I'm not calling Vanya's problems or suffering imaginary. She is suffering a lot. She gets treated like crap. I'm just saying, like, at some point, you just, you know, I get it. Jimbo hates Vanya. Okay. <laughs> That's Spoiler, a good segue. You guys, you guys will all hate Vanya. Spoiler. Ooh, ooh. Whatever. Well, we you love number five and number I five didn't like only them. No, trust no, no, no. Vanya. They so. they were not high points; they're midpoints. So now we're going to move into the literary analysis of the pilot. We'll talk about some plot. We'll talk about some characters. We're going to stay in the story. And Jimbo, you talked about self fulfilling prophecies um, as a storytelling device. How can you change the future? Did you like that part or dislike that aspect in um, Umbrella Academy? Yeah. So this is definitely going into spoiler zone but i think whenever you have like a future story you're always going to run into that problem of like edit like oedipus rex where the thing they're trying to prevent happens because you can't change the future 
And I guess you can change the future if you're like Doc and Morty. But so, I mean, without saying what does or doesn't happen, it's just kind of whenever you see these future stories, can you really change the future? Because if you did, wouldn't that have just been the future before you changed it? I like a movie that I don't think gets enough love. Um, It's Looper, which I think does some very interesting things with like time progression, asking those questions. And I think that if it's played with the right way, like if you do some interesting things with time paradoxes, which as you said, Back to the Future does do like watch the first movie again. There's a lot of like funny little things they do throughout the entire film. And I would say that based on what I've seen in Umbrella Academy thus far, I kind of enjoy the way they play with the time paradox because I think it's what you're talking about. Like a paradox is like that unsolvable thing. And I'm trying to think of like a movie where it's not very good, but like a lot of time travel movies or shows that I like tend to do pretty well with them. Cause I mean, I think that like a story about a time paradox tends to be a lot more fun because the writers are the ones who are like telling the story as opposed to actually thinking about a scientific time paradox because then it's just, yeah, it's annoying. Mo, do you like time paradox stories? I do. But no, I do like the concept of going back in time. I've I've had moments in my personal life where I like would give anything to go back in time and do something differently. But and who hasn't, right? Like who hasn't wanted to just like dedicate their whole lives to wanting to change something from the past? Um, so I think that is what most interests me about about those types of things. But it is hard to do those types of stories well. But is there any ones that are successful in changing the past and and hence changing the future? X-Men, Days of the Future Past. I like it because I think it's teaching two lessons um, at the same time. I think the first one is that we need to accept um, the present, but that we can change the future. You know, so I think it's both pragmatic and optimistic at the same time. For anyone out there that's going to continue with the series, just think about the self-fulfilling prophecy while you watch. So I had one literary analysis idea, um, and then we can throw it out there, but it's just the idea of, like, I feel like the driver of the show, like, the foundation of the drama intention is family dysfunction, and I feel like that's just really popular with, like, a lot of shows. So, I mean, is family dysfunction, is the drama of family the best formula to create dramatic tension? Is it is it annoying at this point? Like, do we have enough family drama? Can we, like, try other stories? I don't know. Families are so core to everyone and and core to like the human experience, whether or not you like your family or know them or whatever. So I find it hard. I find it hard to even imagine how a story could be told without including some aspect of family. (laughs) Mission impossible. Dun, 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 dun. A bunch of secret agents blowing shit up. (laughs) I guess. Well, I guess there's a marriage in that story. But if that if that's the alternative, like Mission Impossible or Umbrella Academy, I would take Umbrella Academy. All right. All right. <laughs> Watch the first Mission Impossible again, Mo. It's great. It has aged wonderfully. I I mean, I imagine it has. I guess Tom Cruise is just such a sociopath. <laughs> oh, petards. Boom. What do you all think of the monocle? Like, do you think it's symbolic? Do you think it's intentional? Or do you think it's just... Dumb. Like another one of those dumb, loose loose ends that, that Jimbo hates. Well, I think the monocle as a plot device is dumb. I think the monocle as a detail is clever because, I mean, it's totally like an anachronistic thing. 
Like, it means that, like, Richard Hargreaves or whatever the the patriarch is, um, is from a different time. He's, like, you know, a Teddy Roosevelt from, like, the 1930s-style adventurer. And so I think okay. it marks him well as, like, a relic from a different era. But um, I'm like, yeah, again, as Jimbo stated, I did not care for the murder storyline. Where do you stand on monocles, Jimbo? I mean, I yeah, I agree with you. I think it's cool to define him as a character, but when it goes missing, I mean, if the show's not about who killed him, then it's stupid. How do monocles work? Like, are they only for people who like, oh, I know Mo, but I'm just like, I wore glasses. And so I had like two pieces of glasses. Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) so I, does he need to look at things more closely? Is it saving him time to like, wouldn't that throw you off? Cause like one eye is like looking differently. I mean, (laughs) <laughs> it's for assholes yeah, man fuck, I agree. fuck, yeah, what fuck the monocles the you're right mo <laughs> fuck that shit yeah what's the point it's just like rich people shit i bet you develop like <laughs> astigmatism or something maybe it like fucks with your vision eventually yeah unless people just like read things with one eye all the time that's weird it's like when people wear sunglasses inside they're just being assholes yep oh the worst and, i mean they're likely on drugs Unless they're on drugs. If, if you're on drugs, you get a pass. <laughs> yeah, if you're on drugs, please wear sunglasses, yes. actually. Like, don't expose Let us, us to your dilated Let us that you're an people. asshole. Then, yeah, then, then we'd know people. who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I would like to endorse a Scrooge McDuck style um, glasses. You know, those are like little tiny. It's like two monocles put together at the end they of your nose. They make sense, though, because when you look down, you know, it makes sense. Yeah. So Scrooge McDuck rich people glasses good. Um, Monopoly money, monocle, rich people glass, bad. Unless you have one eye. You, you wear glasses with one eye. Compliment your patch well. Does it? Because I feel like having a monocle and a patch. Have you ever heard the term like, you know, putting a hat on a hat? That's too much like accoutrement. Too much face stuff. You you could not have any facial hair with like an eye patch. And what if you had an eye patch, a mustache, a monocle, and an earring on one ear? <laughs> And a puka shell necklace. And like a durag on with a hat backwards over it. I like it, man. You're wearing a Tommy Bahama (laughs) shirt? That sounds like Florida. Dude, that sounds like my next podcast uniform, dude. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That'll bring the listeners to our audio medium. (laughs) Next time we're all like, Jimbo, what a crazy outfit. I can't believe you guys can't see this. Tune in next week just to not see what Jimbo's wearing. (laughs) Uh, then it became a stripper podcast. Okay. All right. So let's move into part three. We are going to dive outside of the pilot. We're going to talk about some themes and topics related to the show. Maybe. I mean, you know, we'll see what we got this week. The The dangling threads are sparse. To the stage, the Stormy Daniels dangling threads of interest. All right. So there's actually a huge, juicy, stormy update. You know, okay. we're, we're a little short on dangling threads. No, I'm just kidding. I have nothing new about Stormy. Oh, damn. That would, that would, that would, I know. That would be good, though, because we are very short <laughs> on dangling threads. So let's just get here. So Drew hates Chris Pratt, and he hates Why? pretty much all Christians. And I, Ellen Page those, is with one him. Of those sta- <laughs> one, of those statement, one of those statements is more true than the others. I mean, Chris Pratt is engaged to Schwarzenegger. When I was doing a little bit of research, um, or not even research, just like pop culture awareness... I came across, like, apparently Ellen Page and Chris Pratt had a little bit of a, uh, a Twitter, Instagram beef. Oh. Um, it came from Chris Pratt was promoting Lego Movie 2, 
and he was talking about how he did a 21 day um, biblical diet. Um, apparently, like the diet of Daniel, which you can look up on the internet. <laughs> Is it like paleo? You just like black out on wine and eat bread. Probably, yeah. I don't, I don't, probably, probably more probably writing more on process. the wall, but yeah. So, uh, you know, he and Stephen Colbert laughed and joked about it. Like, it was very cute. And, like, um, Chris Pratt has been very open about uh, his Christianity. Like, he won an MTV Movie Award last year and talked about, like, you know, living a life of faith. And, you know, generally he's been viewed as, like, kind of a positive, um, like, Christian figure. Uh, Ellen Page jumped on Twitter and did point out that Chris Pratt is a member of the Hillsong uh, Evangelical Church in L.A. Ooh, Mo looked right at the camera. I know about them. That's where Bieber, like, jumps for Jesus. They're actually, the, the pastor's, like, based out of New York, but then he, like, spread all over. Yep. And Ellen Page just kind of brought to light that that particular pastor has made several um, anti-LGBTQ gay marriage um, statements. Jimbo found another source that talked about how the director of the church um has you know again not inclusive ones because they said that like uh gay members can't have leadership roles or their marriages won't be recognized so i was just i found some beef between ellen page and chris pratt and yeah we can definitely talk about uh the christian church if we want to but what i also like is that ellen page kind of broke like that hollywood silence where like celebrities don't say like real shit about other celebrities love ellen page yep so there you go good job for you ellen page because i was actually listening to a podcast that daniel radcliffe was on and he would not make fun of other actors like it was like a bad movie podcast and he was just complimentary throughout he was being so polite <laughs> yeah and he's british too so british yeah i was gonna say <laughs> but so i was like good for you ellen page you know talk shit to other celebrities because a lot of times like hollywood does not call each other out so jimbo was that did I avoid being anti-Christian? Well, I, th- I think there is an assumption you're making that if someone believes that any homosexual acts is a sin, that they're wrong. I, I wouldn't necessarily say they're wrong. I think my issue with like using the Bible as a defense of thinking of homosexuality as like either an other or as unnatural is there are six, I believe, last time I checked and I've used this tab before, I think there's like 613 thou shalt nots. And only 10 thou shouts. Um, the number of thou shalt nots is pretty wide ranging, you know, like not eating pork and not eating shellfish and not eating a cheeseburger because you shouldn't boil the calf in the mother's milk. Um, a lot of those thou shalt nots tend to get pushed aside, but a lot of people tend to look to Leviticus and a pretty ambiguous um, verse about not lying with another man, even though there's nothing about gay marriage in it. I'm not necessarily discounting people's religious views. I am taking a little bit of umbrage with the fact that some people who condemn who condemn homosexuality based on their religious views tend to do so by, in my opinion, cherry picking what they do and don't want to believe in terms of God's commandments. Yeah. Not all Christians are homophobic, but if you're homophobic and you use the Bible to defend your homophobia, then you're just a piece of shit hypocrite. Well, okay, let me just play devil's advocate for a little bit. Let's say, regardless of why you believe this, let's say you go to church and they tell you that it's a sin and you believe them. If you believe it's a sin, how supportive should you be? Supportive of what? Are you saying that like someone maybe who didn't have the opportunity to know better and then is just 
stuck in this, you know, like way of thinking that they were just taught to believe. And so it's not their fault. What do you mean? Or I'm just saying someone that believes it's a sin. Like how should, how supportive should they be of other gay people if they think what they're doing is morally wrong? Like, can we, can we just assume that everyone has to accept our morals? Uh, no, but I mean, again, I just agree with Mo that, you know, if you're using faith as a shield for your homophobia, um, then that's hypocritical. So, I mean, I would say that I would ask people who do think of um, homosexuality as a sin that, you know, I mean, there's a Bible verse that says, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. So I think it could be more of an inclusive conversation about faith and about like sins and the nature of sin, as opposed to a lot of times it's just a real blanket statement. Um, and even the statement put out by Hillsong doesn't really go into the nuance of sin. You know, it's just more like we do, we think that homosexuality is an immoral act. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of nuance or discussion around it. It does kind of come back to just like an article of faith. But then my question is, what other articles of faith are you adhering to? Because it kind of just seems like very specific to like this one way of living. And I mean, I've also read some things that talk about how a lot of commandments might have been um, kind of like social directives in that um, when Judaism kind of came about, it was a time of faith, like faith as government, because um, there weren't as many like nation states as we think of them now. So like, some people believe that telling people not to eat an animal of cloven hoof or to eat a you know shellfish was more of a health um, and safety directive. And so again, that kind of brings me back to analyzing why things might be sins or analyzing like the sociology and history behind the Bible as opposed to taking it sorely as an article of faith. Because I think that I've had conversations with Christian friends who think of the Bible more as like a metaphor as opposed to like a literal um, document. And that's kind of more where I'm from. Like I do think of like religious lessons as metaphors as opposed to dogma. Yeah. And at the end of the day, at least in this country, there's a separation between church and state. So I don't think that there's space for policy and for law that is biased by people's beliefs. I mean, as much as it's hard to sever those two things, obviously like we struggle with that as a, as a nation, but that's just kind of the way it should be. So I just don't think there's, it should be part of the conversation from a, from a, like a, a legal policy nation level. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think the church's opinion on anything should be directly influencing any laws, but like, like what, what, what are these churches supposed to do? What, what is Chris Pratt supposed to do? Is he supposed to find a new church? I mean, I mean, I think that the reason he's getting called as a celebrity is he's a person of influence who's been very public about his faith, which is fine. You know, I think that more famous people should talk about their faith and their relationship with their religion. I think that the point that she's making is you're very open and you're very public about these very positive aspects of your faith. Um, are you holding the people accountable um, with your influence when you talk so publicly about these good aspects? Are you also advocating for, you know, marginalized persons? So, I mean, I think that Chris Pratt can use his influence to, like, you know, either change that conversation or he can also just be up front and be like, that is something I believe because I do take the Bible literally, which it seems like he does. And some people do. And that's his own agenda, I guess, too, to 
defend that. If you want to think those things, you can, but just. And Chris Pratt, he, he did put out a statement and he said he did. He represented his personal views. You know, he said that um, he personally does not discriminate based on um, gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, some people were kind of like, that's a dodge. Cause again, you're not holding, you know, your very influential church, um, accountable. And like Hillside is a very influential national network church, like evangelical Christian networks, um, are very rich, very influential, and they do influence policy. Like, especially considering like Jerry Falwell Jr., who's the president of Liberty University has like weekly phone conversations with like the president of the United States. So, um, I would say that like evangelical Christian churches are quite powerful in our American society. But Jimbo, I mean, you know, you you did a nice job keeping the conversation rolling, being a good devil's advocate. Yeah, thanks. Correct. Being a being a pretty uh, biblical devil's advocate. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, I was going to comment back on on the 613 laws in uh, Leviticus. Yeah, th- I mean those those laws. If you take them outside of the historical context, are just absolutely bananas. If you if you look at the context, you have a bunch of tribes with a bunch of different beliefs constantly fighting. The last thing you could possibly want is to have less people. So like anything that's going to decrease the population of your tribe is a bad thing. And that's where all those laws come from. Yeah. um, Biblical scholars have done very interesting things comparing the laws and intent of like the Old Testament versus like the ideas of like the gospel and the New Testament. And then they have found that like there are more of those like social or societal directives in Leviticus, like you're saying. Yeah, so, I mean, two guys having sex is, you're wasting good sperm that could have knocked up a chick. <laughs> right. And if you're eating shrimp, dude, that's a little unhealthy back 3,000 years ago. And pigs, I mean, they carry diseases yeah. that cows don't. Cool. Yeah, so go, the moral of the story is go eat goats. Because they are kosher and halal. No, go eat Impossible Burgers because they taste like meat and they look like meat. I've tried them before. They're really good. They're good. I don't think they taste like meat. They they are really good. They even bleed. They bleed with like beet inside. Oh, beet meat. Interesting. And I know Fitz is going to go out and eat a double serving of of good old fashioned regular beef. I know, just to spite me. So when in Rome, it's fine. I'll do that too. If you find <laughs> yourself beef. at In and Out, get yourself a double double. Oh, yeah. Um, that is a dangled thread. If I can, I put on something on the petardar like late. Oh my gosh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and late addition to the Petardar, Mo? The song Black Parade by My Chemical Romance because it's so fucking good. And Gerard when Way. I was a young boy. My father Go ahead. took me into the city. Into the city. To see a marching, to see band. A marching band. It's so good. Yeah, let's put that on there. <laughs> so I, I, sh- I forgot I wanted to put that song on there because I. I want them to play it on one of these episodes. I feel like it matches the theme. Jimbo, when you read the comic, did it have like musical interludes with like song notes and lyrics and stuff? No, it didn't. Okay. I didn't know like if, since the dude was a singer and he was like a musical dude, if it had that because there's so much like music throughout the rest of the series. Yeah. I was wondering that too because I did – I read the graphic novel after watching the pilot. So I, I was curious, especially that dance scene. I was really – expecting it in the graphic novel somehow all right so this is section four this is the fun and nonsense part i did not do petard trivia yeah, we're also in an hour fun. okay you know okay let's do let's do a one question 
petard trivia. All right, Mo, here you go. Undefeated yeah. on Ready? one. Mo's buzzer sounds like buzz. And Drew's buzzer sounds like meow. For one point and a victory in petard trivia, you need to match characters named by the father with characters named from the mother. I.e., I will give buzz. you number one. Buzz. I mean, Drew's meow. First answer. Luther, number one. Allison, number two. You, oh, I thought you said mother. The mother names them real normal names, and the father names right. them number names. Diego, number three. Uh, quit shaking your head, man. You're giving it away. I didn't shake anything. Oh, okay, no, I was cool. shaking. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to go with Klaus, number four. Ben, number five. Now I can't remember an extra. No, number five is number five. Um, Ben's number six. Vanya's number seven. Drew is not completely correct. How many so points did I get? You got five of seven. But would you like to come in for okay. the steal? Nah, okay, I'm cool with um, that. Um, okay. One is Luther. Two is Diego. Three is Allison. Four is Klaus. Five is five. Six is um, Ben, and then seven is Vanya. That is a hundred percent correct, oh. Drew. You missed. You mixed up number two and number three, man. Uh. And Remaining undefeated <laughs> in her mind, the magical motherfucking Miss Mo. Let me turn this one around real Ooh. quick on you, Jimbo. Okay. Match powers with numbers. Go. Okay, so Luther is just really strong. Okay. Diego can can move projectile objects, it's like can bend them, like curve. Allison can... Like wish things into existence, right? So my theory is her dad taught her to use her powers with the cue rumor the rumor is. Mm-hmm. But I think she could, if she would have learned properly, I think she could just make people do whatever she wants. So she has like some type of uh, psychic powers. Number four is Klaus. He sees dead people. But he actually has – he never developed his full potential. That's one of the reasons why his father hates him. So he actually has a little more power oh. that he hasn't developed yet. Number five can transport through space and time. Okay. Number six, Ben gets these crazy octopus like arms and just goes savage and kills people <laughs> like a just complete crazy person. All right, cut it off there. I believe you got it right. Does I think Vanya ends up having powers, right? And then also, do the other siblings ever come in and be like, I would think that they also had superpowers. Whatever happened to the other 36 siblings? I thought there was going to be, I thought that was going to come up in the story that the other 36, like, find their way to the Umbrella Academy and are the like, we have powers. Position. Oh. You don't even know. You haven't even seen it. That's what it is. It's a guess. That's a good guess. It's a pretty good guess. I don't know for sure. I think I think, I think, there might be a season two. At least talked about. Well, that sets up a, uh, a little Jimbo Mo head-to-head Pitard trivia next week because that's, uh, that's one victory apiece. Okay. Great. Nice. Thanks, Jimbo. That's a good quiz. And so now, Hoisters, we are going to move into our shop talk. If you can't tell by the plugs I'm about to announce, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for a few more minutes. We'd like to thank Jake Drew for our intro, outro music. And follow us on all those places that we have links in the show notes. And go to the Facebook group or the website and let's continue the conversations. We, you know, Let's talk about self-fulfilling prophecies. Let's talk about Christians hating gay people. You know, all this stuff is open. (laughs) All right. Shop talk. Jamie's 
trilingual. She speaks baby talk. She speaks zombie talk. She learned from Honest John. And she speaks Ewok. <laughs> okay. What 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 sounds do Ewoks make? Like it dip 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 or you know, that's not very good one, but <laughs> I, I got where stuff you were like going that. with that. That is true. That is And then so so Honest John taught her zombie talks because he thinks it's cool if the babies stick their tongues out. So Honest John is always like those those idiots oh, like, from what? the Budweiser commercials. Oh. <laughs> and so now little Jamie now all day she's like out? Ah, <laughs> tongue out, scream like a zombie. Oh, we taught uh, little Emma to stick her tongue out and like do funny things, and then daycare got mad at us because like the other baby oh. started copying her, oh. and so we had to teach her another trick. So Jimbo, teach her something else; she'll forget. I just kind of yell across the house at her and stuff, like 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 not yell at her, but like if she does something, I'll like be from the kitchen, like yeah, baby, yeah, you know. And I'm just like always yelling like all day. And so I noticed, dude, she's super loud. She yells all the time. So, like, now I'm trying to train her not to yell. But it's so hard because I get so excited whenever she does something cool and oh, I start right. yelling. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm starting to – whenever she – because when she wants her attention, she's like yells. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I've been training her. I say, excuse me, Jamie, but it's nice <laughs> and polite if you ask. You know, and so, so now I'm trying to train her. There's this phrase that Tori hates, but I always use it. And I say, like, our kids will learn the lessons that we – I'm just like, they're watching all the time. That would be really hard for me not to raise a loud-ass child, because I'm so fucking loud. It would be so hard for me. I don't know if it's genetic, like, loudness, or... Because sometimes I really wish I could be, like, soft-spoken and, like, refined. It's, like, really... I feel like you and are pretty soft-spoken. Okay, next time I go to Oregon, come visit. (laughs) I haven't seen you in your full, like, environment with your with your siblings and yeah, everyone. Yeah, no, I'm I'm like two different yeah. people. Like I think the first time I went to my parents' house with she was like didn't know who like, I was. Like why is Jim <laughs> why is Jimbo screaming so much? Yeah. She's just like sitting there like why are all these people yelling and screaming <laughs> at each other? <laughs> okay. Well, then maybe she's just getting it from you. It's just totally I think it's fine to be loud. I think it's fine to be loud too to an extent, but like I think it I think when she goes to school or daycare and she's just like yelling all the time like that's not going to go over all that well (laughs) who cares (laughs) i think it's good for your kid not to yell at you every time they want your attention yeah okay fair fair enough i didn't realize how loud she was until we went around some other people and like and like everyone kept saying like oh my god she's got good lungs (laughs) the first couple times i heard that i didn't know that that was the nice way you tell someone like your baby's fucking (laughs) loud dude (laughs) that is a very polite way to say kids loud born this way Anyone that has a kid out there, if anyone tells you that your kid's got strong lungs, they're they're calling your child loud. Not necessarily always good loud. The passive aggression is strong. Does Jamie still have, like, rolls? Oh, yeah, dude. Because she loves food. Is she, like, a pretty healthy? Because that's, that's my nice way of telling people their babies are fat. Ugh, she's baby. looking she's like, healthy. She's, like, healthy she's fat. Looking healthy. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, like, healthy fat. Yeah. I don't think you can be unhealthy fat at that age. I mean, like, come on. Uh... It's pretty tough. No, I mean, dude, they have to be super big. Yeah. Well, actually, there used to be, like, I remember in high school when I'd be on summer vacations or whatever, and I'd watch, like, Maury and stuff. And do you remember that? Like, where moms would, like, overstuff their kids. It was, like, a it was like a thing. And so their, like, four-year-olds were, like, morbidly obese and, like, so, it was so yeah, weird. Yeah, that's so sad. It was weird. America. America. But they're just like, my baby... You know what? It was just like a typical, like, disgusting daytime show, but it was real. Like, you couldn't plant those babies. Like, they were legitimately 
obese. I can't remember how much they weighed, but I mean, for their age, I think they were weighing like 50 pounds or something. Dude, check in on those kids now. I guarantee it's not good. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're on TLC on my 600-pound life. Ugh. Anyway, but not to say Jamie or Emma or Messi. Messi is skinny. Messi is so tall. Like, she is wearing the onesies that Emma was wearing at nine months, and she's four months old. But the thing is, they're really loose on her, and they, like, stop at, like, her mid-ankle. But that's still pretty, like, she fills it in pretty well. Emma was a chunkier, chunkier baby, and it was still very cute. Um, And then Essie is just so tall. Yeah, I think on that note, yeah, on that note, that's that's a good place to finish. So just for the record, Drew hates fat people, Christians. (laughs) And who else do you hate, Drew? Nate from Six Feet Under. There you go, Nate from Six <laughs> Feet Under and his imaginary problems. <laughs> and I hate Vanya. There you go. And, and the wr- and the wrinkles on her face. Diego, her her deep and wrinkles. And I hate Becky's. There you go. Yes. And what Mo hates all white people. <laughs> 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 it is a strong word. I don't hate any except Donald Trump. So we are keep you know we're going to keep the record straight. We're going to let you know who we hate and who who we don't hate on week to week basis. Oh, don't forget put Chris Pratt on Drew's list. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you take take white people off and put Chris Pratt on? No, white no white people's on Mo's list. Wait, he's he's marrying Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter, who is like twelve years younger than him. He's also like thirty eight. Like twelve years younger is different when it's like thirty. She's like twenty six or something. I think she can make that choice. I'm fine with that. Past twenty five, things start to get a little bit easier to digest. Yeah, if she was still in college, I, I would feel a little different about it. If she was 18 and he was 30, that's gross. If she's 25 and he's 37, you can have opinions about that if you want. I don't as much. And also, if like it's Nick Jonas and Priyanka Chopra, they also have a similar age difference. And, you know, good for them. Yeah, okay, fine. I'm going to find... Okay, she's 29. Okay, fine. It's not as bad. She's 29? Oh, she's 29. Yeah, it's even more in our favor. Every day I'm hoistling, Drew out. Every day we're hoistling, Jimbo out. Every day we hoist Lynn, Mo out.